0: All right. Good morning again. A few things first before we get started. Um, One is I want to welcome Jesse Simmons back. He got back, I guess, Tuesday. He's been in Columbia. So is that right, Columbia? So he's he's back with us. um, So we're glad to have our family a little more complete as far as some of our soldiers coming back. Another thing, I always forget, I'm, I'm bad at announcements. If you've been here for a while, you get that. Um, we have an app that you can find in the App Store. If you want to go there real quick and do that. But the reason I tell you about that now is because there's sermon notes that are <laughs> supposedly pretty tied to what I'm going to talk about in case I, I veer off from there. So if you want to follow on, if you're that person who likes to fill in the blanks and to know what's going on, then, then that's the place to go. Otherwise, you can just go, um, just analog, I guess, and just just do how we normally do. Um, if you would, find your way to Genesis chapter 20. Um, we're in the the, the the closing stages of our, our time this summer as we've spent just looking at the life of Abraham, just this journey of faith. And, and if you've ever just read Genesis 12 through about 22, which is kind of what we're talking about, we're going to go a little further than the slide says. Um, there It's I wonder if it strikes you different of how much we think of Abraham as a man of faith, but when we read his story, he was plagued, it seemed like, by a continual highs and lows. Like, he would fall into sin and go crazy, and then he would rescue Lot and do all these crazy things, like, a faith. And so it was like, it, in a way, it encourages me, because I feel like that's my life, it seems like. Like, sometimes I can be really firm in in my faith, and then other times I'm like... Just like really, how did I fall on that? And so th- today we're looking at this idea of of Abraham's journey from from failure to faith, and and we again look in in chapter twenty um, as we look at this, we'll see kind of Abraham's just tendency to be drawn to himself, you know, the things of the world. And so, if you will, we're going to read the whole chapter. It's a little shorter. Last couple weeks, you've read the whole chapter. It's been like 30 verses, and by the end, you're probably tired of of me reading today. We'll just read the whole chapter of 20, and then we'll just get started. Um, So, in Genesis chapter 20, it says, From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev, and he lived between Kadesh and Sheur, and he sojourned to Gerar. And Abraham said to Sarah, said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, set out, set and took Sarah, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me that she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then return this man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you should do this thing? Abraham said, I did it because... I thought, there is no fear of God in all this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, and the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Save me, he is my brother." Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants, and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech. And he also healed his wife and the female slaves so that they may bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. If you will pray with me as we ask the Lord to guide us through our time today. Father God, we, again, just like we do each week, God, we just thank you for your truth. And we thank you that you have given us your word so that we might learn. God, that our lives might be shaped by your spirit working through your truth given to us. God, that we don't have to wonder, but we know who you are. And what you have called us to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so, kind of as, to, as, we, as we start looking at this, it's a, it's a little less crazy as last week. We were getting in Genesis 19, and it's kind of the, the crazy chapter. And this is kind of a, a toned down version of that. But we see the same thing happening. And so, kind of to set our hearts, if you, we, we like to ask questions. We want to talk, we want to ask questions of the text and of ourselves to kind of orient our hearts correctly. And so the, the question kind of do that today as we look through the rest of this is, does it matter how we live our lives? Does it actually matter what we do as we live our lives? And, and, and maybe another way to look at that, does, it, does, does your obedience to God commands actually matter? Or is, it, is your fidelity to the gospel the most important thing? Like how we relate to what God's called us to live, is that really the most important thing, or is it maybe we're just supposed to proclaim the gospel, and then when we get down to it, try to uphold it, right? Because how we answer those questions determines really what the trajectory our life will take as we interact with those, as we seek to be a place that, that brings glory to God, to show those who are outside the gospel the good news of that and share that with them. How we, how we answer those questions determines exactly the type of message that we'll proclaim, and gives us a footing for that. And so today we look, if you're reading, you might have noticed that, that Abraham's failure here, you can see that he fell as a man once again. It was caused by his sin. And, and that sin led to, led to suffering, which it, which it always does. And ultimately, though, we see that that sin and suffering reminds us of the security he has in God. And so as we look through that today, we're going to try to apply that to our lives, just looking at Abraham's example again to see what we can do And how we can follow up and how we to live the way that God's called us to. Because just frankly to answer the question, yes, our obedience matters. Absolutely it does. And we're going to look at that through this text and and answer why that matters. And so uh, the first thing we're going to look at is Abraham's sin. Um... And, and really, what is the most important thing about his sin is what caused him to sin. And if you look at what's going on, and, and it's really not a, a one verse to the next, so you kind of have to look around and everything. But if we see what's happening here, we see really in verse, um, verse 11, the, 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 the root cause of his sin. And Abraham said, remember, Abimelech's come to him and said, this is what's happened, why'd you do this to me? You shouldn't have done these things. Which really, verse 9, a little sidetrack. Verse 9 is kind of the key verse to everything. But in verse 11, it says, Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. And, and we see in there this glimpse into Abraham's heart. This, the root cause of his sin, if you will, was, was this idea of the fear of man. He was afraid of what was going to happen because of his wife, what was going to happen. He, and so his fear of man outweighed his healthy fear of God. And so it caused him to lead into sin. And often we need to, to understand really the, the root between, the root of the sin. So like the sin underneath the sin. So his sin was giving his wife away, right? That, that we can see that was obviously not right. Like you don't give your, your wife away. And we'll talk about that in a second. But, the root cause of that was this fear of what men were going to do to him. This, this idea of that, and when I was looking through that, um, if you've ever read uh, anything about John Bunyan, uh, an old uh, a Puritan, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, that's the writer. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, you should. It's one of those old things that's hard to get through because it's a different language. A lot of times you've got to find a good... But, but if you read that, it's amazing. And there's this memoir of him that I found... And it describes his life and what was happening and the persecution that was happening that he lived in. It said, Neither violence nor allure induced him to deviate from the line, his line of duty. No fear of man appeared to agitate his breast. He richly enjoyed that perfect love which casteth out fear. And we look at that, and that's something that we should, should hope that defines us, that, that as we live our lives, people would understand that, that the fear of man is just suffocated under our fear of who God is. Like That we see who he is, and not an afraid of God, but this reverent joy knowing that, that the fear of God far outweighs anything that can happen to us by men. And so that there cuts that off, and then it allows us to, to live a life of obedience because sin has effects and, and your sin affects other people. And we see two ways that this affects in, in chapter 21 is it pulls them in. Like our sin at times is gonna pull people in and when it does that, it pulls them in because they become active partners in your sin. That, that you're gonna have something and maybe if you've had some friends at time when you were younger or something like that, you, like you all do the same thing and, you, and, and maybe someone didn't want you to do it. I know I've been on the occasion, I was kind of a follower if I'll admit I was a little follower, and so if someone was doing it, then, man, i got to be cool, right? And so you jump in, right? Because like, if, if I'm honest, when I was in high school, I was kind of the odd person. It might be weird for you all to think that if you know me, but I was that, that odd kid that I had friends because we were in a small town, and I'd grown up with them. Like, they just accepted me. Um, they couldn't really get away from me, but, but I followed people. I, I followed, I allowed, and I became active partners in what they were doing, even if I didn't think that it had to happen because that's what I felt drawn to. And this is what we see happening here. Look look at look at verse five. Here's his active participant in Abraham's sin. Did he not himself say to me, "She is my sister," and she herself said, "He is my brother." Is she, Sarah? So Sarah's now actively participating in Abraham's sin. Verse 13, it says it again, right? And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, so here's him drawing her in. He's pulling her in as an active participant participant in his sin. He said, this is the, the kindness you must do to me at every place we come. Save me, he is my brother. You see, it wasn't her idea to say that, even though we read, that, that it's kind of a half-truth, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Just culturally, we think that's weird, but there's more to that. But, but see, it was him saying, do this for me. He did it in chapter 12, when he fled to Egypt with Pharaoh. Same exact thing, the same sin, and he's drawing her into this. She's an active partner in his sin. It wasn't her idea, but she willingly was drawn in, and so his sin was affecting her by him pulling her into that. But we also need to see that, that it might not be an active participant, but there might be passive victims. That you're going to bring people down because of your sin. And that's when we look at Abimelech. Right? Look at, look at verse 3. It's kind of a, it's kind of a harsher tone, but, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said, Behold, you're a dead man. Right? He didn't even get he didn't even kind of it's no gray area there. You're a dead man because of what's happened. And so he didn't know what was happening. He was going by what Abraham had said about Sarah, what she had said about herself, their brother and sister, and he had taken her in, which was his right as king. And so he was a passive victim, but it was because of Abraham's sin that he was in this situation. Now he was there there's more to him because he was outside of God. He didn't believe God. He wasn't declared righteous, but he was this was something that was brought on him by Abraham. He didn't choose to take her. He was acting innocent. And that's what he says. And and what's interesting is the one that we have continually outside or doing the right thing is the one who didn't believe God. There's a whole other little subplot in there when we see Abimelech is actually the, the one with integrity, with character. Yet he's the one that's outside of God. So what do we do there? But he was a a passive victim of Abraham's sin. And so what we need to understand that is that we have to deal with our sin before it becomes a problem for those that are in our lives, that we have to take care of that. Warren Weir'sby said that, that a half-truth's just enough fact to make it plausible and just enough deception to make it dangerous. And that's exactly what we see. They, they were telling half-truths, right? I mean, they weren't, they weren't lying when they said, she's my sister and he's my brother. They're half-brother and sister, which don't think about, don't get stuck on that, but but get stuck on the fact that they're just telling a half-truth. So they're making it, well, I'm not, it's not technically a lie. And again, we come back to that rationalization, right? They're, they're rationalizing what's happened. Well, it, it, you know, she's my half-sister, so technically I didn't lie. But, you know, we always say if you have to put a disclaimer on it, then you probably shouldn't do it, right? That, that if you're having to rationalize, then you already know that you're outside. And so we have to be worried about half-truths because if we're honest, and we see this in the, in the political landscape that we have today in the midst of a crazy election, right? The politicians live in half-truths, don't they? Oh, well, this is not. that's not really exactly how it's going to work. It's more, it's more complicated than that, but this is it. But in reality, it's just half-truths. We have to acknowledge that those half-truths that we tell and we're okay with have an effect on other people, either bringing them in as active partners or pulling them down as passive victims. And so what do we do? with our sin when we acknowledge that. And I get that don't worry, we'll we'll come back to a positive thing. I get sometimes we talk about sin and you're like, "Ah, oh, I just feel defeated. Don't worry, we'll get to the happy later." But you have to deal with this to get to that, right? The, the if you don't climb up the mountain, it's not as good, right? The it's not as great of a picture if you haven't gone through the pain. And so, the, dealing with sin requires us to do one of two things, really both. And the first is to repent. Right? Dealing with sin requires repentance. And repentance is a, is a hard thing to do. It's an acknowledgement. It's not just an admission of that. And that's why um, if you're following along, I put a quote in there that's lighthearted admission of sin is not the same as a brokenhearted confession. Like, it's not just saying, oh, I sinned, and you just kind of admit it, and you're like, oh, well, I acknowledge it. I'm good to go. No, we need, repentance requires that brokenheartedness to understand, if you read some commentaries and stuff, they talk about that, that you have to judge your sin, that you have to see your sin like God sees it. If you're truly going to repent of your sin, you have to see it like God sees it. It can't just be this lighthearted, oh, well, I didn't mean to do that, I'll do better. No, it's, that is, this is detestable. Because if you repent, you have to know the magnitude of that. And to know the magnitude of that, you have to confess. And that's the second thing that, that dealing with sin requires, repentance and confession. Psychologist William Jones says, for him who confesses, shams are over and realities have begun. I love that. If you confess, then, then all your schemes and everything are, are over and, and the reality is now set in. And so the, the confession allows us to truly repent and then to continue in that life of repentance. That's why Luther said that the life of a believer is faith and repent. Repent and faith. You repent and you respond in faith. And we have to do that continually. And that doesn't bring us down. It actually points us to the amazing fact that we have grace given to us when we don't deserve it. We have to. To do that. And we can see that Abraham confesses because of verse 17 and 18. Right? Look, look at the way the chapter ends. What does Abraham do? Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech. So we know that there had to be some sort of confession, an acknowledgement on Abraham's part, a true, not just lighthearted admission. That's what happened in chapter 12. Right? In chapter 12, when, when Pharaoh confronts, Why have you done this? It's kind of an admission, but we see that he didn't really repent and confess. Why? Because he's doing it again. Right now we see this idea that all of a sudden he's come back to it, and we see that he's praying to God, and God healed Abimelech because of Abraham's prayer. So he had to be right with God in that he had to have confessed and acknowledged that in a true broken-hearted way, for that to happen. And God healed the people. And if you're if you're a timeline person, this is my, where this chapter seems kind of reverse, like. How do they, if, if, if he just moved and all this is happening, how do they know that all the women were barren? Like, doesn't that take time to, to figure that out, right? And, and there's a lot of commentators that say that, that this story is actually that Moses kind of flipped it around, that, that Abraham had moved a long time ago, and so this has been a, an ongoing thing. In the text, it just looks like it happened, but in reality, it, it took some time to know that no one's having kids, right? All of a sudden, no one's having, it, it's not just a, right? Yeah, it takes a while, Right? At some point, you can't hide it anymore, right? And so it wasn't happening. But, but what we need to see is that God healed Abimelech and all those people with him. And we have to understand that that was because of this brokenhearted confession. And so the easy application then is, is what have you just been lightheartedly admitting to when you should be on your knees broken because of what your heart is continually drawn to? And as Christians, as believers, that's a positive thing because we know that we have someone that can go to. That we don't have to fake it. We don't have to, to be fake because we know that he loved us when we were dead and our trespasses and sin. And then we need to understand the next thing of the story that, that's throughout here is that Abraham's suffering, right? That, that, that really there's two outcomes of sin, right? And, and both of them involve some form of suffering that, that happens right you you and that's what we have to be a lot of times I find myself trying to confess and getting that but but you stop because you know that if you confess it's going to hurt right or if you if you go to someone and you have to confess that then it, it leaves you vulnerable and there's and so it's easier to go without the pain right confession brings that pain but it's a good thing as we'll see so two outcomes the first is natural consequences right you've you've all of us in here have done something and then there was a consequence of that right you, you've done something and there's consequence. I don't know why my, my mind goes to this, but, but growing up, we, uh, my mom did a lot of stuff at church, and so every now and then she'd have to go do something and i have to wait in the car. And a lot of times that was in the summer because she was a teacher, and then during the school year, teachers just focus on school, right? You don't do anything else. But so we'd run up there and she'd just leave me in the car and I would sit there in West Texas in the car. So the, the billboard just say, don't leave your kid in the car. That wasn't, that one around yet, right? And so you'd roll down the windows and it did nothing to change the temperature, right? Because there's no breeze or if there is a breeze, it's just circular it's like a convection oven, right? It's just circulating hot air in the car. I remember one time I'd been, I'd been playing with the, the cigarette lighter, the push-in thing, right? Because that was cool to watch it pop out. I hadn't taken it out. I didn't know what it was. It just pushed it in and it pops out. It's like, I'm a curious kid, right? And she's like, don't do that. And I was like, why? And she's like, because it gets hot. Oh, there's something else. And so what I do, I pushed it as soon as she went out, right? I pushed it. And then when I opened it, I realized, wait a second, it's not just cool. It's colorful, right? And what did I do? I touched it because I was stupid, Right? <laughs> I did. I didn't, I didn't understand that, that red was bad, and so I touched it, and I burnt my thumb. I felt like, you know, like Men in Black when he takes his fingerprints off. Like, my fingerprint was staying there, but it was a natural consequence of not doing what I was told, right? That's just what happened. Don't touch that. It gets hot. Okay, I'll touch it, right? Why? We do stupid stuff like that. We have natural consequences. When we take that back into this idea of the text, what was Abimelech's natural, con- natural consequence for being in sin? death, right? He doesn't he play around. This God doesn't did, play around with that. He says, you are a dead man because of the woman. And he had done nothing to her. One, you can take this to where this is how much th- that God hates adultery and goes against that because it's very clear, nothing's going to happen here. I'm not a part of that. That's a natural consequence for Abimelech for being in sin is death. That's what Paul says in Romans. The wages of sin is death. That's a natural consequence of our sinful nature inherited by us. There's no way out of that. But we see other times natural consequences aren't as harsh and we also need to understand that even as believers if we sin, there's natural consequences. So Abraham, look at, look at Abraham. 9 and 10 really give us a good idea of this. Abimelech has called him. He gets there in verse 9. He said, he called to Abraham and said, what have, you, what have you done to us? So that's another thing where it shows maybe they understood what was happening because of that. And how have I sinned against you that you've brought on me my kingdom and my kingdom great things. You have done to me things that ought not to be done. Right? And that should just devastate us as believers if we ever have someone that's outside, that's a dead person outside, living in their sins that so you've done things to me that ought not to be done. So Abraham's natural consequences is, is a loss of his Character, right? He, he was, who was he? Now all of a sudden he has no character. He's, you're just a, a, a liar. So he ruins his character. He loses his reputation, right? If we go back to, to 19, Abraham's the one that saved Lot and he did all this and, and people know, they have to know when stuff like that happens in the region, they have to know what's going on. So he, now he's this person of faith, but now he's lying about this. So he loses his reputation. And, and with that, his testimony's gone, right? How can he speak to Abimelech about a faithful God when he's just lied about what he's done, right? He he loses his testimony. His ministry at that point's gone, right? He can't minister to those people anymore because they're actually better than he is in a moral standard, right? Abimelech's then the one with integrity. Abraham's just lost everything. And that's all a natural consequence of one half-truth that he told. Right, he didn't do anything else. He told a simple half-truth. Right, there's also embarrassment I don't, I don't know if you notice this, but, but look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. This is Abimelech speaking to Sarah, or, or to Abraham. He said, and then he says to Sarah, Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all. Right? How embarrassing for Abraham to have someone that is outside of the kingdom of God, that doesn't believe God, that actually have integrity to tell him, You know what? I had more concern for your wife's honor than you did. And here's a sign of that. Can you imagine the devastation in Abraham? That the person who was not married to Sarah had more regard for her honor and dignity than her husband did. And I pray that we aren't marked by men who hold lightly the honor and dignity of our wives. That we shouldn't suffer the embarrassment that Abraham did. That he failed as a husband because he didn't hold her honor high. Right. The next consequence or outcome of sin, natural consequences. We also see that there's corrective discipline. Right. Corrective discipline. In, in Hebrews 12, he quotes some psalm. The writer of Hebrews quotes some ta- psalms that talk about that the Lord disciplines those that He loves, and that we should be okay with that. That's a paraphrase of a few verses. Go look Hebrews 12, um, really one through like seven or eight, if I remember correctly. It's just understanding the idea that, that, that there, there's natural consequences to our sin, but there's also corrective discipline of the Lord. And Charles Spurgeon, I love this, he said that God does not allow, does not allow his children to sin successfully. Right? I love that. Right? Because he's a father, he's going to correct you. When you sin, you're not going to be successful in that because there's going to be a discipline. He's going to teach you through that. And we have to be able to, to understand that, that while that hurts, that that's a positive thing. Right? Corrective discipline, natural consequences are all outcomes of sin. And they're all present in our lives until we repent and confess of that sin and turn in faithful. Right? And so what we need to understand is this, as we kind of bring this back to our life looking at this, is one that we're not outside of the outcomes or the consequences of sin if we're believers. It still happens. Right? We're not protected for the consequences, we're protected as the payment. In Christ but the consequences the discipline are still there because that's what God's doing and allowing to happen here and so what that does then when we understand there's outcomes to sin it, it points us it points us to the fact that repentance and confession is actually a positive thing because we see who we are in Christ not who we are in ourselves that's why we usually take time to have a prayer of confession as we just orient our hearts understanding that because that drives us to the assurance that we have in Christ that that I am a sinner that I screw it up so often that I tell these half truths, and I'm okay with that. Because that, really, if no one knows, then it was just a the half truth. They're not that bad, right? But, but sometimes those consequences are delayed because eventually, eventually, it'll be found out. And so allow yourself not to, to, not to get thrown down in this idea of sin and being sinful in our nature and understanding of it. But allow that suffering and the natural consequences, and the corrective discipline of the Lord to drive you to his glory and his majesty, his grace and his mercy that we didn't receive because we deserved it. Because ultimately, this story, we get to celebrate in Abraham's security, right? He's still, he's still the one that we know of, that by faith he did all these things. He didn't deserve any of this, right? We can, we can clearly tell that, that he was someone that sinned. And so what we need to understand is our security, like Abraham's, is found in Christ alone. He believed God. Right, And it counted him as righteousness. It wasn't because he did all these things and then he was right. No, he just believed God. Genesis 15. He was given the sign of the covenant, he was given the circumcision and, and understand. And so he experienced security because he believed God. Not because of anything he had done. So we can't say, look at verse 20, look at chapter 20. And there's people that would use Genesis 20 to, to call out Christians and say, but look, you're just like everyone else. So actually this guy was better. Like, no, but that wasn't his right, he wasn't righteous, right? Because in verse three, you're dead. So ask yourself in this, who had who had security in this story? If we just look at it, if we didn't know anything else, who would have been secure in that? Because most of the time people would say Abimelech, right? He was the one that did the right thing. He responded, he gave it back. But that's not what we see. That's not what we have. And, and the reason Abraham experienced security is because he believed God. And, and even look what God says to, to Abimelech, right? He said, God to him in a drink." Yes, I know that you've done the right. This is verse six, the integrity of heart. And in verse seven, he says, I return the man's wife for he is a prophet. First time that anyone's called a prophet in scripture. Although Enoch was before, we see this is the first time it's written about. Return the man's wife, for he's a prophet. So what? So that he will pray for you. Now think about your mind. If you just heard, well, you're dead because you've got another man's wife because he lied to you about her being her wife. And then God says, now you need to go to him so he can pray for you. Right? <laughs> Surely Moses had that backwards, right? Because you're not, seriously? Like he's the one, he's the corrupt, he's the liar. He's the one that's leading me into this. He's bringing me down. And so wait a second. So I got to go to him so he can pray for me? Right? Because the gospel, and, and at this time you see this, that, that God does things that the world doesn't understand because he's the one that does them. Right? It doesn't rely, he doesn't have to have the world to work. That Abimelech, he was not a believer, therefore he had no security. And so then ask yourself, is that fair of God? Because that question right there, how we how we understand where Abimelech stood with God will directly affect the rest of our ministry. Because we have a culture that says that that's not right. That, that, that you can't take that person that lives a good life, they make good choices, they help other people, yet they're, they're dead in their sin. So we have a culture that says there's no way that that's, that's right and that's appropriate. So do you think it's fair that that's right? Because how you answer that directly relates to who you think God is. He's either the sovereign Creator of all, or he's just a, a vengeful God that doesn't understand integrity. Matthew Henry said it this way He says, That every willful sinner ought to be told that he is a dead man. As, he, as the condemned malefactor and as the patient whose disease is mortal are said to be so, if thou art a bad man, certainly thou art a dead man. See, that, what, the reason I, I, I put that quote in there, the reason I like that is because we. Even though we have a culture that says you can't say that, we need to be firm in who we understand that God is and the security that we have in Him so that we can actually talk to people about sin. So we can say even though that's a half-truth or even though you think that it's okay and the world says you're all right, if you're outside of Christ, you're a dead man. We're dead in our trespasses and sin, Ephesians 2. And we have to be understanding of that because there's two positions before god there's one that you're saved because of christ or you're condemned because of sin there's no other way there's no other position that we can have in Christ or before god is that we're either saved because of the righteousness of christ because of his blood poured out on the cross for us in that exchange for his righteousness we're either saved by christ or we're condemned because of our sin and we're all sinners for all of sin falls short of the glory of god so we need to understand that. And if we truly get that, if we truly get that and know that, that in Christ we're secure, then we realize that, that we're so messed up that we didn't deserve it, right? Did you fix yourself before, you accepted, before God chose you, before God called you? No. Most likely, when you understood that, you're at the bottom, right? And there's nowhere else to go until you turn to Him. That's where security is. And so as we conclude this, there's two things that we need to do. First, the first is that that you need to confess your sin. You need to look at your life. You need to come back to that and confess your sin and realize that that's a positive thing. It's an okay thing. It's not painless, but it's positive. And we need to be okay with that. We need to be okay talking about sin because we know that that sin doesn't define us anymore in Christ. So we can confess that sin. We can hold fast to our confessions because we know in Christ that we're saved. That in Christ alone, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. life. is the only way to come to the Father. And so confession is good. We need to confess that. And then there's some of you that are outside of, the, the, maybe you haven't got to the point of sin because you haven't acknowledged that you're a sinful Right? And so that's the first thing you need to do. You don't need to confess if you're not sinful. So you need to acknowledge that you're a sinner. Right? That, that's why I don't know if I've said this in a while, but if we look at the gospel, the gospel is bad news before it's good news. Right. You're sinners. Yet, Christ died for us. And so we need to acknowledge our sinfulness. We need to confess our sin. And both of those, this is the hard part, because both of those require humility and honesty. You can't confess if you're not humbled before the Lord. You just can't. And you can't confess if you're not honest about who you are. And both of those lead us to the good stuff. And I, and I said that we're, we're going to end on a good note because in that, we can have a positive idea when we talk about sin because we know in Christ that we're more than conquerors, right? That, that in Christ, we have everything, right? Abraham believed that God would do what he said. We get to see the benefit and the, the fulfilled promise because we know who Christ is. We don't believe in the idea that God's going to do what he says. We see the reality that he did. And that leaves us, that, that's why we have joy. That's why people can write about John Bunyan, that, that he had that love that overcame fear, right? That, that we understand who Christ is, that we're loved. And that's what people are looking for, right? They're looking for relationships where they feel loved. It's a good generalization of most people. They want to be welcomed. They want to feel loved. And and so that's why we talk about showing hospitality, being quick to offer ourselves to others, because we're loved. And so we can say, I'm a sinner, absolutely, but I'm saved by the grace of God alone, through faith in Christ alone. What an amazing thing to do that. And then, thankfully, we see that it's possible because next week when we get in chapter 21, Abraham, he starts over right? There's a good part. And and actually what's cool about chapter 21, I don't want to give it completely away, but we actually see a restoration between Abraham and Abimelech. So if if you've been on that where you've brought people down, there's hope. Go to Christ because Christ can then reconcile those relationships through his love and power. And then it allows us to live a life where we don't feel beat down. that We can overcome what the world throws at us because we know that in him is a security that's found nowhere else. That sustains us and upholds us through the worst times, and we can have joy that, that that calls people to ask us why. Let's pray, Father God. We, God, we thank you that you loved us. God, we thank you that we can see the the sinfulness of Abraham here. God, that we can. We can so often just think of him as a man of faith and forget that he was just like us, had a nature like us. God, that we can see his sin and we can acknowledge his suffering, his embarrassment, his, his lack of reputation and, and, and ministry and testimony, God. But know that, that you, we too can overcome that as we start to walk anew through the power of your spirit in our lives. God, I just pray that that we understand the security that we have in Christ alone, God. I just pray for those people today that that might not have ever submitted their life to Him. Maybe they had the idea that they have, but they haven't truly submitted and confessed. God, I just pray that they would respond, that they would acknowledge their sin, God, they'd confess that. That that we would be a, a church that embraces people that are broken because of the love that you have shown us in your Son Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.